Hi, my name is Arun Patel and the basic idea to bring this podcast is to introduce the very interesting people I have around. Mainly the episodes will be inspired by the work of the writers, philosophers and the artists we celebrate to understand our immediate reality. In today's episode, we will be exploring experimental societies such as Oroville that we visited recently and stayed there for a month. We will delve into what an experimental society is, the alternative ways of living it provides, its relationship with sustainability in the context of climate change and how it inspires us to make changes in our own society. Our guest, Jane, a member of a Spanish experimental society, will join us along with my partner, Luciana Milani-Baglioni, who is currently researching post-development society at Humboldt University of Berlin. We will discuss the challenges and rewards of being part of such a community and how these communities can help us rethink our current reality. But before going there, I guess it is important to share our experience of Orville as it provides an opportunity to understand what an experimental society is. The international community here is different from Himachal or Goa as they live here with their family to build an international peaceful community to get a super consciousness and work is the only way. They divide the labor and resources, help each other and the center of the society, the Matri Mandir represents the most advanced spiritual architecture where the residents and visitors go to meditate. But it is a sadhana ban, a project for deforestation that provides truly an alternative ways of living. This was the positive aspect. But now let's talk about the reality. So the reality of Oroville is that it does not fully represent alternative ways of living as most residents are white Europeans conducting their own experiments with internationalism and spiritualism. This may be seen as a form of new colonialism since local Tamilians are excluded and there are hardly any Indian members in the society except for a few in Sadhanavan. Additionally, there are issues with their understanding of sustainable architecture, building community, performances and ritual practices, food and clothes, which resembles more of an exclusive group than an alternative to our exploitative capitalist system. Well, this was about Auroville. Further, we will focus more on other kinds of alternative societies in and outside of India. And I hope it comes out to be interesting. So stay tuned for an interesting conversation and let's start the podcast. Welcome Jane and welcome Luciana. Uh, I'm just gonna not introduce both of you as you yourself gonna introduce to our listeners. First of all, Jane. Well, I've just met these lovely guys in Oroville, an amazing alternative community in South India. And because it was raining, we went for breakfast and we had such a cool conversation. And so I agreed to say a little bit about myself here. I've living, been living in Spain uh, 20 years and I'm English. I was a big party head when I was younger. When I was little, I was really into books and ballet and gymnastics and animals and art. And now I'm a yoga teaching massage therapist nomad <laughs> who doesn't know what she's doing when she grows up, even though I'm 61. <laughs> so this is 61-year young person you. with us. Of course, we're going to discuss all those pages that you have mentioned here. And before that, we go to Luciana. Please introduce yourself. Oh, okay. 
I'm Luciana.、Uh, I'm from Brazil and I'm here traveling with Arun. <laughs> Who is Arun? <laughs> This horrible person that I met in the pandemic in JNU. And we started dating and then it's going until now. <laughs> and what about you, except our horrible journey? <laughs> Yeah, so I'm doing now my master in Berlin, trying to finish it now,、uh, doing my thesis, trying to do my thesis here in Arrowville. And yeah, just have interest in getting to know like these very interesting people and also like these、um, sustainable and new k i n d of societies because this is. Maybe what I'm gonna write about in my thesis. So, really nice to be here. And yeah. I just wanna say neither of them are horrible, they're both lovely and lovely <laughs> together. Okay, we just wanna clarify that in case somebody listens who's like, what's going on? <laughs> so, would you tell the story behind what is the horrible? Oh, I, I actually don't remember how it started, but we used to call baby. To each other, and then suddenly we became horrible people. <laughs> and now we are just calling each other horrible potatoes. So, <laughs> horrible potato. That's your endearment for each other. Yeah. That's so cute. You're a horrible potato. <laughs> so, that's, that's how it is now. Yeah,、oh. indeed. So. <laughs> So, like, as you mentioned earlier, that you have traveled quite a lot.、Mm-hmm. And I would like to know how many countries <laughs> you have visited. I grew up in London. Yeah. Or, no, I grew up on the outskirts of London. And then when I became a teenager, I hung out in central London. So I grew up a lot in the countryside. And then I was really drawn to the urban, sort of punk rock lifestyle in the city. And then、um, I lived in cities for a long time. And then 20 years ago, I wanted to live again in the countryside and I wanted to live in some sort of community. I traveled for maybe 10 years teaching English as a TEFL teacher, TEFL. So I taught English. My first job was in Costa Rica. So I lived in Costa Rica for a year. I've lived in when I was a teenager. So since the beginning,、holidays. you are doing these experiments. Exper- I guess my life is an experiment. That's why we all, all were fascinated after listening to your story.、Mm-hmm. And it was very important for me to bring it in our podcast、mm-hmm. so that we could understand our immediate reality through your experience because the kind of experiment you have done with your life is amazing. Then I would like to ask which country is your favorite I, and I, I why then? I think it has to be wherever I am at the moment、okay. because I don't want to be in one place wishing I was somewhere else. So, I think wherever I am is my favorite place to be because everywhere is unique. You know, the people are unique, the food, the, the essence of the place is always unique. You could have a terrible e x p e r i e n c e Like at the moment, it's raining, there was a cyclone predicted here, the power's been off. It's been interesting. Yeah, yeah. But it, in that, you know, I'm connected with you guys and I'm, I'm speaking to you now. So,、yeah. in, in the things that sometimes seem to be adversity or unpleasant in a place, that can be something. Yeah. It's like saying, What's your favorite food? Yeah. How can you say? And as we were discussing earlier, like, I mean, how come you came in contact with experimental societies? I had no wish to live communally. I'd always shared flats when I was younger because in London, you don't, in the 80s, you didn't have your own house, you shared. So we had a big chaotic house with lots of parties and people coming and going. Well, I had a, like a rebellious teenage time. 
And then I, by accident, got a job working for British Airways, like a big corporate company in England. And I worked for them for 15 years. And then I left there and started teaching English because I was like, I want to travel. I was out of a relationship that I was quite devastated about. I wanted to leave behind my party lifestyle and I wanted to teach English as a route to travelling around the world and got this job in Costa Rica and then later in Spain. When you're travelling like that, you learn to live with a small amount of stuff and be ready to be in situations that you don't really understand. And so my first house in Costa Rica was from some people from Venezuela who didn't speak any English and I didn't speak any Spanish and they thought I was hilarious and I thought they were weird. And but it was So that was like living with people from another culture in close proximity. That was far out and I was completely out of my comfort zone. Um, but I loved it and I grew a lot in that year. Then um, after teaching English, I wanted to start teaching yoga. So that started my journey to India. And when I was in India, I started staying in some ashrams. And that's kind of a flavor of communal living because ashrams like a kind of community where you're contributing and then you're learning something together and everyone's there for a reason. So I stayed in different ashrams. And which and is, is this? Like, I mean, just for the night. Which era? I yeah. guess this was maybe 15, 20 years ago. I was in Tiruvannamalai on a Muji silent retreat and I met this guy. He was um, a founder of a community in northern Spain. So when he was in his 20s, he went to this deserted village in a part of northern Spain where he and his friends occupied like a ruined village and they all had loads of babies there and they built a little dairy farm and they built a school so this guy had been living this alternative community life for 30 years or something who I thought was amazing and we went on a road trip to this place called Oroville where I am now funnily <laughs> enough years later without the guy he's still a friend oh wow and he brought me to Oroville and I saw all these like amazing alternative schools and amazing buildings made out of local materials and different farms and I'm like this is interesting this is interesting when I was in Oroville I went to this place called Sadana Forest which I recommend if anybody come here to visit there what's it's the name Sadana Forest okay and they have a film night every Friday. And I went there and I saw one film by a German guy, I think, with about 10 different communities within Europe. And one of them really piqued my interest because it showed a guy having a glass of wine in a hot tub under the stars saying, we might live without the necessities of normal life, but we live in comfort and we have everything. And so from India, I went back to Spain and I didn't have a home, so I went to this... So from one experimental community, we are heading towards another oh, ex experimental yeah, community, yeah, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. in Spain. Yeah, I went to this little eco-village. With the same guy? No, by then the guy had gone. We'd split okay. up. I'd learned okay. to ride a moped. I didn't need him. He was gone. But we were still in touch. <laughs> I think actually he'd left because he had to go and build a wooden house for an old girlfriend in Spain. So I went to this. It was like an experimental living space. They called it an eco-community, but it really was a big kitchen. And then people, volunteers would come there and try living off-grid and sharing communal living for a while. Then, when I left, I had a message from the German guy who said, there's a party in my valley, why don't you come? So I went, my heart just exploded with like, oh my God, I love this place, I'm going to live here. Within a day of being there, someone offered me a free house to live in. At the time, I was carrying a, a Muslim name, 
Aziza, which was a sannyasin name given to me in the Osho community. And this made me a lot of connections with Muslim people. And there was a lovely couple there. And the guy worked as a waiter in the cafe in the village. And he's like, Aziza, as I was then, he's like, where do you really want to live? And I'm like, I really want to live in the bottom of this valley near the river in a yurt. And he said, I have one. Why don't you come and live there? And so this is a valley with different people living in trucks, people living in some little tiny stone houses. So he just offered me that in exchange for looking after his goats and two sheep. Wow. (laughs) There was no gas, there was no hot water, there was no toilet. But when I think of that time, I was like so happy. Somebody came and helped me build a compost toilet. Somebody came and helped me put in a little solar system. And I mean, remember one guy who's a friend now, he said, when you turned up, we thought you wouldn't last like one month. And a year later, you're here. So now I'm going to talk to you because many people come and go in that sort of environment. They said, she'll never last. She's like really a townie. And I was milking the goats and the baby cows. It was like so much fun. And I was like walking around naked in the summer and it was so hot and I was loving it, making friends there. And then after... I lived there, I think, for two years, and then um, wow. and then I had to leave because the guy who gave the place said, well, "Don't let people stay longer because then they stay too long." But by this time, I'd met all. There's a lot of very interesting people living in the area. So, like within five minute walk of where I live, there's a woman putting on like theatrical performances in her. There's a truck that's converted into a stage, and then there would, from time to time, be parties or performances there. I was just completely taken in by this living experience, so I'm like, hmm, I'm here. I sort of had this idea, if you're going to live in an alternative community, you had to know how to build your home, you needed to know how to build your solar system, you needed to know how to farm. And I think, from my experience, I just needed to be at the right place at the right time with an open heart and a real desire to be there and to just really connect with the people because I'm absolutely useless at fixing anything, building anything or whatever. But people come to support me. Obviously, sometimes you give somebody money, but some people don't want money for doing things. So I've ended up living there for for 15 years. If I think about it now, it's like magic how it happened. It, it was just like a dream and a desire. and And your choices. And my choices and my ability to see an opportunity and just say yes. Yeah. I would like to ask you about these names you had and uh, what is the story behind them <laughs> and how many names you have had in your life. Only, only two names, okay. Yeah. I was born with a birth name, family name. They gave me a name, Jane. And then when I joined uh, the Osho community in Pune, This was after Osho had died, so it was kind of a place to have really nice coffee and dance all day. It was a bit like being at a big party, but with no drugs. What time? I can't put dates on things, but it was maybe 15, 12 years ago. I don't really know. I was so taken with this uh, way of living at Osho. They call it a meditation resort, but I'd been staying in these Hindu ashrams where you can't speak and you can't touch anyone and it's all very controlled and then I arrive there and it's like have a cappuccino wear some beautiful clothes let's dance all day get up at six o'clock in the morning and do some crazy meditation and it was like really really good fun I'm like I like this <laughs> and then <laughs> so they said like I'm a sannyasin what's a sannyasin and they said you can become a sannyasin now you at that time you could become a sannyasin by booking it in on a Tuesday night 
and the old sannyasins were very angry because they had to sweat and nearly die they had to do all these sufferances and wait for years and years and now you just go and put your name down and they put you in the computer and then you go and choose your name off a computer of all the previous sannyasins i thought it was kind of cool but the old sannyasins <laughs> thought it was really wrong i'm like jane i call myself something beginning with j or something i'm like, no so I started looking at the, on the computer, <laughs> like very spiritual, looking on the computer at the list of names, and I saw this name, Aziza, and I'm like, aha, uh-huh, I like that name, it's so un-English. It's got a small I in the middle, and it can be reversed. So A-Z-I-Z-A, you can reverse, and it's still the same thing, and it has a little I in the middle. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, this is my name. I'm going to call myself Aziza, and then they said, you need a second name. So I'm like, Aziza Deva. <laughs> oh. I'm like, oh. I'm like the goddess. <laughs> and it really tickled me. I thought it was very funny. So I became a sannyasin. <laughs> but then after about seven years, I carried the name. And it was great. I, I worked with refugees, so I had worked with a lot of people, Arab or Middle Eastern background. And they were like, what's your name? And I would say, Aziza. They go, how can your name be Aziza? Like, I'm a skinny white woman. You can't see me, but I'm a skinny, very white woman. And they were like, Aziza. Aziz, like my uncle is Aziz and my auntie is Aziza. And I'd show, they'd show me a picture of a big, plump, like dark-skinned woman. <laughs> and they just, it was like, so cool. They thought for someone to carry a Muslim name and it made people like warm to me is like that a Western person would choose with all the Islamophobia in the world that a Western woman would choose to carry a name. And then I was in Rishikesh in Shivatri one year and it was all chaos. Shiva worship, frenzy, moon, everything going on in Shivatri and I just couldn't sleep and I'm like oh my God, I've got to get rid of this name. It was like almost like a vomiting feeling of like, I can't call myself any this anymore. Mm-hmm. I go back to my why, family why name. Why can't you call it? I don't know why. It just this intense feeling came that I couldn't. My father had died a year or so before that and I felt like I'm disrespecting my father by not carrying the name that he gave me. Okay. And also, I, I can't remember if it was before or after that, I started reading more books about cultural appropriation and there was a book called why i won't talk to white people about race anymore written by black woman and i'm like oh my god i've been calling myself aziza all this time if i was a muslim woman i would not get a job because of that name i would not get interviewed for that name i would have all kinds of disadvantages and here i am swanning around as a blonde white woman using this exotic name and i'm like oh my god what have i done and what was happening, I was meeting Muslim people who were very happy that I'd taken Please tell name. us about what cultural appropriation is. Oh, you've got me on the spot here. Yeah. I think if you're, do, if you're taking something from another culture and those other people, if it's sacred to them and they are upset that you are using it, then it's wrong. Like, if I walk around with a T-shirt with Shiva on it and a Rudrakash Mala... Yeah. If I wear that in India, are people really whispering to themselves, what's she doing with Shiva on her T-shirt? You know, if people are actually saying that, then I should take it off and not respect it because Shiva's image, if Shiva's image isn't for my decoration or if the mala is for meditation purposes, it shouldn't be worn as a look. Oh, look how trendy I am. I'm a yoga teacher and I'm wearing a mala. So I think the question is, does it upset the people that it's come from? Yeah. 
and even in the fashion scenes i guess it is taken like when the big brands like adidas dior and all those brands takes or copies the indigenous people's paintings and their work in their kind of fashion and yeah, they yeah. don't and give the Yes, yes, out of it, and nothing goes back to the community. Yeah. If they've taken a kind of embroidery from a culture, yeah. then make sure some of that money goes to benefiting people yeah. in those communities, yeah. but yeah. also with the mindset that a lot of people, it's not money that they need; they just need to be left alone yes. and have their culture respected, because yeah. that's also a Western misunderstanding. Like we can help people by opening schools giving them money and it's like no no they just need to sing their own songs and do their own thing and follow their own culture so it's it's a big minefield isn't it cultural Very appropriation going back to our uh, like decided topic of the day so would you please introduce what experimental society is hmm that's a pretty deep question yeah. i think all all societies are experimental no because we all grow up in societies where things are changing every generation has its different set of challenges and any way that we're practicing living we have different equipment and different things happening and different tools and different problems hitting us and the situation now seems to be sustainability how can we live more friendly on the earth how can we be kinder to each other the amount of wars has escalated in the last 15 years where are we going with the ecological situation in the world with the population exploding how do we eat how do we live on the planet in balance with mother nature and so there are a lot of people trying to live in a different way now my mother wanted which was to get a nice job marry a banker go to university not in that order and then grow up and have loads of kids and be very bored and and just be respectable but that was what she required from her life to have safety so i think a lot of people if they have chance to open their eyes they see that the way we're living is not sustainable it's not healthy in a psychological spiritual or nurturing way for themselves or the planet and so people are looking for other ways to live and it's something that i've been experimenting with over time i kind of knew always that i didn't want to follow the route that my parents wanted sorry parents mm. um and i had the freedom to be able to choose different things and i think there are a lot of young people especially trying to revive or retry ways of living that maybe the hippies who have kind of a bad name now but hip when i talk about hippies i mean people who wanted to live in a world of peace and love and harmony those things were tried a lot in the 70s and then a lot of them didn't work and then now young people are trying to do the same thing there's a lot of experimental living going on now and i think with old people not being looked after in societies then you've got co-living co-working for yeah. older people people who want to live together with people with similar ideas about child rearing or what they eat or you know there there's a lot of different kinds of communities happening okay last part of the podcast ki what are the available options of these alternative societies where our listeners yeah. can be part of it yeah. if they choose yeah. an alternative life for themselves yeah. to understand their own reality yeah. to understand the world in itself well i'm going to try and stay say two things if i can stick to two yeah. and one of those is to use uh, the woofing community it's w w o o f i n g it's it's a a huge website it's very well known all around the world and this is a way to go and work on organic farms and help people from colorado to chile to new zealand to wales is all 
there will always be places and you can find a place to go and work where people are setting up a project that's basically it's all organic farms and you can go and work there and live there and you can see maybe you have in your dreams oh I'd love to live up a mountain with nobody there and just grow food and then you try it for six weeks and you're like oh it's not actually for me I'd like a nice coffee shop and the cinema so you know you can go and see Listen to the people's stories, listen how they've set it up, what their challenges have been, what they've been doing. And then I think that's a really good way. I've met people who've been woofing for for maybe three years and traveling around the world doing that. So I think these websites like woofing, there's another one called HelpX with H-E-L-P-X and another one called Workaway. And I think they're all quite big. So this, I think, volunteering at a place that's already set up is a good way. I tried visiting various various intentional communities and there you will find them listed if you look on Google intentional communities in whatever area you'll find places but generally you need to pay quite a lot of money if it's a good place you need to pay money to stay there because they've maybe spent 20 years to build the infrastructure in which you're going to sleep you're going to get water you're going to eat with people so these websites I think are really brilliant the other thing is I'm going to say three things. The other thing is to like do communal things with your friends. And so like if you need to move house, get a bunch of friends to come say, let's do the packing together. Or like if there's a big job to do, instead of like employing someone, it's like, how can we live more communally in the areas that we already live? Like, so if you've got some free time, is there somebody in the area who needs some help with some gardening or taking food to old people or looking after stray dogs or something? There's all that kind of volunteering thing. That's a sense of community when you're offering something to other people. And then from that, you're receiving a lot back by giving. We are so intelligent and we can do so much when we've got the will and the heart to do it. And I think that's... For me, the best thing about community is when you're nurturing yourself, but you're also giving something to other people. Wow. The overall purpose is to connect with the other people and with the nature in a true sense. And now, as Luciana was also part of this podcast and she is reading these days about the experimental community and especially in regard of post-development era. So my question to you would be the same that you were asking earlier. How do you see alternative society developing and what kind of model they project? I think I'm not the right person to reply to this. It's like very complex and there are many like scientific research going on about it and I'm just reading it I'm not like really like so will you please like tell us about like what you're reading and what they are saying in that way so basically what I'm reading is like post-development literature which means like okay so this system is not working properly and we need to go further we need to go we need to propose alternatives we need to uh, get a new way of living that respects the nature, like she said in the beginning, that respects um, people as part of the nature, not as something that is divided, like, oh, okay, we have culture and we have nature and they, they are kind of opposite. No, like we need to bring them together. And this is what capitalism has done. It has divided things. It has like put them opposite uh, directions. So this also has become like a kind of destructive way 
to like women, minorities, nature, and has brought like men to the top of the organization, which makes no sense. So like this post-development theory or these post-development initiatives are trying to bring everything like more horizontal and more equal. But then my question is like, and I will try to find out in our view, is um, if we are living in a capitalist world, And there are these initiatives and they are very autonomous, especially in Spain and also a little bit in Brazil, some in India as well. But for example, you have your house, you have your subsistence way, like you can eat, you can produce your kind of things. But if you're not receiving money out of it, or if you don't have this money saved, like from previous works or from previous, I don't know, endeavors or whatever, don't you get stuck on these communities? Like for example, us, we are students, we have no money. Yeah. If we are supposed to come here in Auroville and live here, and of course we will be provided food and we will be provided uh, a place to stay, for example, but we will not receive a salary. Mm -hmm. And then if we want to go out or if we want to travel or if we want to explore things like from outside, we will not have the money to do it because then the outside is capitalist, right? And you need the money. Yeah, yeah. So it's hard for me to analyze it because it seems so nice at one point, but at the same time, it feels like you get stuck somehow in this like very utopic, utopic, utopian yeah, utopian. and nice community. But then when you go outside, like you actually feel as an outsider, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So... Yeah, so this keeps... I can hand this question towards <laughs> you. Okay. Well, having lived in this like utopian, was well, not yeah. utopian because it has very dark sides to it as well. Yeah, there are there are people there who never leave the valley. They love it. They don't have. They don't want to explore the outside world. They don't want to have a mobile phone. They don't. They are very happy to see the year round in one place. Enjoy where they are. So I think the key is how can you be happy with what you have and have some small income so that if you want to go and do something that's outside of the community. But the community should be able to bring into it whatever people need for fun. We need to get together and celebrate and laugh together and cry together. And then when there's more cohesion, then you don't really feel like you need to go out more. But I'm a hypocrite because I'm saying that and I like I want to be there <laughs> half the year and then in, in India half the year. I get all you are saying and I, I do understand like if you're part of a community, you want to be there, right? Because you feel that you belong and that's the most beautiful and most powerful thing, I guess, we need as humans. But at the same time, I also know myself well enough to realize I want to travel the world, I want to see things, and I, I don't want to possess anything like material things. I don't think mm -hmm. that's my point. I don't need it. But I, yeah, this is what stucks me because mm -hmm. I really want to have the money to travel and either we want it or not, like air tickets cost a lot of money. And this keeps on my, on my mind like, oh, 
I really want to participate in this community, but then like... I think that the future, like COVID was a little bit of a, a shock now. It was a bit of a slap in the face. Yeah. It could be that in one year's time or five years time, international travel will be impossible for whatever reasons. So outside events could impose on us. I think be careful what you wish for. My yoga teacher who I was with last month, Bharat Shetty in Mysore, he said, in order to grow, you need to give up some of the things that you're really comfortable with. I totally agree on this. Because in order to grow and reach our destination, we have to say goodbye to many things, including people. Because not everyone will give us company to the destination we desire to go. I mean, take the example of the booster of a rocket that can only go up to a certain altitude. It plays a crucial role in the journey of the rocket. But suppose if the rocket will not leave the booster, then it cannot go its destination and will fall back on the earth. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, well said. Yeah, finish yeah. with on his hard hitting note. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it was really nice, interesting and thank deep. You, thank you, thank you yeah. for all my ramblings. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and thank you for being part of this podcast. And thank you, Potato. Yeah, thank you, Potato. <laughs> thank you, Jane, for accepting. All horrible Say people, bye. horrible potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Ta-da, bye-bye.